Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast today. And my topic, I've given the title, Healing in the City of God. The City of God, of course, taken both from the Psalms and St. Augustine's famous book, The City of God, refers to the church. So the topic would be healing in the church. And let me give you a quick review of kind of where we are. Uh, I've been encouraging families to bring the gospel home. And how to do that is simply the Sunday Mass readings that you hear in church that the family takes time to read together in the home and kind of uniting the domestic church with the church, bringing the gospel home in a way of bringing it back personally. And so I've encouraged reading the gospel of St. Mark. I've also encouraged in previous broadcast to take advantage of some of the resources I mentioned, like the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible and Scott Hahn's website, which has great three-minute audio clips every week about what that Sunday gospel is about, the essence of it. And then in these last couple of broadcasts, I've tried to bring to you some of the things that are in the gospel of St. Mark, really staring us in the face, but sometimes are overlooked. And that's why I want to talk to you about healing again in this broadcast. Last time, we just went through the Gospel of Mark, and I highlighted and just simply read for you many of these passages. In fact, there are 14 different healing accounts in the Gospel of Mark. And according to the Dictionary of Jesus and the Gospels, it says that Mark devotes the largest percent of his gospel to the healings and miracles of Jesus more than the other evangelists, approximately 31 percent of the gospel. Now, except for, you know, certain times of the year, um, this church year, you're going to be hearing the gospel of Mark almost the entire year. And just think of it, of what we're hearing from Mark in homilies and what we consider, what we take home, what we even discuss uh, with our children, or what we even think about in our private devotions, are we giving like 31% consideration to the healings of Jesus? And I'm not saying it has to be 31% or 33% or whatever, but it, there's a huge emphasis in Mark that is not in our common thought. And I just want to be honest with you for a moment. It's a temptation that I know I had as a Protestant pastor. It's a temptation I have as a Catholic layman, and basically anybody teaching, preaching, or even studying the Gospels, here are the, this is the basic choice you face and the temptation you face. The temptation is to conform the Gospel to your life. In other words, to conform the truth of what you find in the Scriptures to your current subjective condition. The alternative is to conform your life and your thinking to the gospel. And that's the type of genuine gospel transformation that we want to engage in. And because of this, I want to spend a second week 
on the healing of Jesus. I left you last week with the 15th reference to healing in the Gospel of Mark, and this 15th reference to healing is not a healing of Jesus, but it comes from the very last chapter of St. Mark, Mark 16, and it talks about after Jesus leaves, he talks about those who believe in his name will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That's right out of Mark 16. Now, of course, this has thrown up all kinds of questions in the church, the first of which somebody who has studied Scripture a little bit will say, wow, that's not supposed to be in the Bible. And there is quite a debate among Scripture scholars whether or not what's called this longer ending of Mark 16, which includes this reference to believers laying hands on the sick and then the sick recovering, that's part of the disputed long ending to the Gospel of Mark. But let me ask this. This is usually cited, by the way, by those who want to deny that any healings can take place in our day. Let's just say for the sake of argument that that was true. That wasn't the initial form of St. Mark, as St. Mark wrote, but as the scholars claim that it was perhaps done by somebody in the second century added on. Well, if that's the case, you've just made the case for continued healing in the church, because you just said there's nobody in the second century who didn't believe in healing that would add that on to Mark, you see. So the argument denying the longer ending of Mark actually is an argument for continued healing, not a argument against it. And then, of course, there's the Council of Trent, which formally defined what's called the canon of Scripture, and that's not something that was used in the Civil War. The canon of Scripture is simply the authoritative list of books and the composition of those books, what belongs in the Bible. And they basically said what was in the Latin Vulgate was the canon of Scripture, and the long ending of Mark is part of that formal decree of the Council of Trent determining what should be in the Catholic Bible. But here's the most common argument, and it's made by a man I have great admiration for because he was one of the best biblical scholars in the entire history of the church, St. Jerome. And he says the following in his commentary on Mark. We're going to go way back in the centuries. Quote, Miracles were necessary at the beginning to confirm people in the faith. But once the faith of the church is confirmed, miracles are not necessary, unquote. And that's the essence of the argument why healings don't continue in the church. Now, you're going to think I'm slightly schizophrenic, but I believe healings can and do continue in the church, but I do agree with St. Jerome. Let me explain. Healings often occur in various places, in various periods, and yes, in situations, say in a missionary situation or a situation where the culture hasn't been transformed yet by the presence of Christianity. So it's, it's an established fact that healings 
did decrease as you go through church history, but what about today? We are in a type of new paganism. In fact, the call to the new evangelization is to bring the Catholic faith back to those peoples and those countries, like some European countries, that are former Catholic cultures. So you have to re-evangelize. You're like you're going back into the early centuries of the church. So if that's the case, even if one accepted St. Jerome's argument, uh, today the gospel isn't confirmed in so many places of the world, including our culture right here in the United States. And just what would happen to the new evangelization if some of the miracles that went on in Jesus's ministry, 31% of the gospel of St. Mark, in the book of Acts through the apostles, and in the early times of the church. Now, again, I agree that healing did slowly fade from activity in the church, but not completely. In fact, you might be very surprised to find out some things that actually did occur in the early church. Saint Justin Martyr, I'm being redundant, but he was a saint and a martyr. In his dialogue with Trypho, he was writing this about 165 AD. So now we're into the second century. And this is what he says, arguing kind of an apologetic way for the proof of Christianity. Quote, for one receives the spirit of understanding, another of counsel, another of strength, another of healing, and another the fear of God, unquote. That was 165, St. Justin Martyr, arguing for the truthfulness and the proof of Christianity, cited healing. Here's St. Irenaeus in his work Against Heresies, writing about 180 AD, again, second century, moving forward a few decades. And it's interesting, St. Irenaeus was a disciple, you would say, of St. Polycarp, and St. Polycarp was an immediate disciple of St. John. So there's only kind of a baton pass here between St. John and St. Irenaeus. And here's what he says, quote, those who are in truth his disciples receive grace from him to do in his name miracles so as to promote the welfare of men according to the gift which each one has received from him. Others still, and again, this is 180 AD, so it's obviously after the apostles have died, others still heal the sick by laying their hands upon them. This is origin, 250 AD. Now we're into the third century. And he says, quote, and shall I not refer only to his miracles, that is Jesus's miracles, but as is proper to those also of the apostles of Jesus. So in other words, healing by Jesus, healing by the apostles, then he says, and there are still preserved among Christians traces of that Holy Spirit, which in, appeared in the form of a dove. They expel evil spirits and perform many cures. Again, this is now the third century, 250 AD in origin. I'm going to mention St. Augustine in just a minute, 
but he was writing about healing miracles in the, his classic work, The City of God, in 427. I like to almost come back to him, so let's jump forward a little bit. The Venerable Bede, uh, anybody who studies English history, English literature, English theology, has to read The Venerable Bede, his Ecclesiastical History of the English People. Now, he was writing in 731. Now, we're moving forward here in church history, and basically, he was collecting records from the Catholic monasteries of the previous centuries and then putting them in his ecclesiastical history. And I found, I think it was at least five or six. I just didn't have the time. I wouldn't have done this broadcast. I would have had quite delight in studying the Venerable Bede. But here's what I found, quote, miracles of healing have been frequently wrought, unquote. Another one, quote, innumerable miracles wrought by the wood of the cross, unquote. Now, this is where you kind of come back to St. Jerome, where he said miracles were necessary at the beginning to confirm people in the faith. Well, that might have been in Rome and the countries and cities and regions covered by the Apostle Paul and the other apostles, but England was kind of up there. And so Venerable Bede was recording the work of Catholic missionaries in England, and obviously there was quite a bit of healing activity that coincided with the bringing of the gospel to the English peoples. And my argument, again, is that uh, I think we're in a pretty tough spot. I think the uh, other side seems to be just rolling right over Christian morality in the most fundamental sense, the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, filth being put out in every conceivable form over the internet and movie theaters, pushed around the world, Christians being sued by refusing to engage in participating in homosexual so-called marriages and such. I mean, things don't seem on the overall scheme of things to be going our way. And honestly, I don't have a lot of faith uh, to see the miracles that I read about in the gospel. It was a temptation for me. He said, you know, I could be real easy for Steve just to be quiet about this because I have a feeling a lot of other people are going to be quiet about this as we go through St. Mark. But, you know, I've been going through and listening to St. Mark and my private devotions just after I did the previous radio show where I went through all the miracles, and I ruined it for myself because I can't go through Mark and see miracle here, miracle there, healing here, healing there. And, you know, it's Jesus is in the city of God. We're not some detached organization like the Qantas Club. Uh, they have a set of bylaws and just continue on by ourselves. Christ is living in our midst. And if our situation is that where the gospel is not confirmed, as St. Jerome was talking about, then perhaps we can just basically in faith see if God desires to act. But it does take a little bit of faith, and maybe it's a lot more faith than your host had. I, I'm a man of little faith in this area. But there might be somebody listening to me who could start breaking the ice that would help the rest of us perhaps have the necessary faith. Now let's go to St. Augustine. And nobody can call St. Augustine some flim-flam TV evangelist, phony fake healer, okay? I mean, 
he is a saint. He's a doctor of the church, and he's a great saint and great doctor of the church. His book, The City of God, I would imagine is on the list of any top 10 Christian books outside the Bible of all time. So, you know, here's a man of incredible depth, incredible uh, balance, incredible influence in the Catholic Church, and yet a lot of people don't realize that St. Augustine was very much like St. Jerome and believed that healings had basically ceased in the church. They had basically served their purpose in confirming the gospel or perhaps during the early centuries until the empire more or less converted, and that, that was basically it. Well, do you know that this great saint and doctor of the church retracted that position? He changed his mind, and you know, that's really great, because to me, my trust in a person, um, and I, I can kind of uh, identify here because uh, I've said in my life, I've had to really eat crow. Obviously, if I'm sitting here talking to you as a Catholic, a lot of things I had said as a Protestant pastor and believed, you know, it's hard to admit <laughs> when you're preaching about something that you were wrong, and I had to come and do that, and St. Augustine to basically issue a retraction of his earlier belief, to me, shows he's a man of integrity, a a man that I want to follow. But in any case, uh, in the City of God, which I I just bought myself a paperback version so I can kind of have it with me a little bit more, it's over a thousand pages. But you get to the very end, it's book 22. It's the very end portion of his book, The City of God. You know, we would say all something broke loose. I would say all heaven broke loose in his area where he was ministering. At Milan, with the emperor present and a huge number of witnesses, a blind man was healed. We read about blind men being healed in the Gospel of Mark. And it happened in the 400s with St. Augustine. And it's recorded in one of the greatest Christian books ever written. You turn the page. Hopefully, I'm not going to butcher her name. Innocentia, a woman who had breast cancer such a challenge for any woman. It's such a horrible disease. She was told by her physician to have her breast removed. She turned to prayer, and she was instructed in a dream to do the following. In the dream, the Lord instructed her to stand by the side of the baptistry at church And the first woman that was baptized coming up out of the water, she was to ask her to make the sign of the cross over her breast. Now, let's just pull back here. If like you're looking at a picture, let's pull the camera back and get the bigger picture here. The wisdom of this, James chapter 5, in the context of healing, if anyone's sick, call them call for the elders of the church, let him pray over him, anointing with oil. And then it says in verse 16, 
the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And that works for women too. And a woman coming out of the baptismal waters was totally, 100%, all mortal, actual, venial, all sin, gone, gone, gone. And, and in that pure state, the effectual fervent prayer of a perfectly righteous woman coming out of that baptistry made the sign of the cross on her breast and she was instantly healed. Folks, have you heard this lately? I was astonished that this was hiding in plain sight in the city of God. Here's another one. There is a, and this also has to do with baptism, because remember, baptism is removal of sin and then the residual of that. A paralyzed man who was also suffering from a serious hernia came up from baptism completely healed. You think folks were astonished? I'm astonished just to read this. And I have to confess here a, a, a certain interest to what was going on. This was almost the warm-up, you sense. But then, in the vicinity where St. Augustine was ministering, the relics of St. Stephen, my namesake, and you know, I don't even think my parents were naming me after St. Stephen. I think they just liked the name, but I like St. Stephen. He was a great guy. I'm looking at his icon right now, staring at me as I'm broadcasting to you. But the relics of St. Stephen were brought to a nearby shrine. Now, before I tell you just some of the things that were going on when after that happened, let's take the camera again in our minds and just back up and get the wider picture. Uh, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's James chapter 5 and verse 16, and that's in the context of healing, okay? Now, a martyr... Uh, St. Stephen was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as a Catholic in water, but we also say he was baptized in blood. He gave his life as a martyr, the first martyr in the church. And as a result of that, you know, uh, if you and I were martyred despite our imperfections, as long as we're not living in mortal sin, I mean, we would be in an incredibly uh, glorious state with Christ. And so when the relics of the first martyr in the church, and again, there's a certain depth of cleansing through his martyrdom and blood were brought to that area. Starters, they were bringing the relics, and I think they had something like they had some flowers that the bishop was holding when processing with the relics of St. Stephen. She just asked for the flowers that were touching the relics, and as soon as they touched her, guess what? The blind woman was cured. Here's one, uh, every parent's nightmare. There's a little boy out in the street, and you know what's going to happen. There's not automobiles back in 427, but an ox cart came and ran over the boy, ox cart, and crushed him. He was at the point of death. Mother, being a pretty smart woman, snatched him up and took him to St. Stephen's shrine and just laid him out. And guess what? He revived without a single sign of injury. Folks, this isn't some flim-flam paperback I got at the used bookstore that I'm reading out of. I'm reading out of the City of God, St. Augustine, 
Father and Doctor of the Church, one of the greatest books, and again, a doctor of the church who had formerly said healings don't occur anymore, and he retracted it. And then things really get warmed up. Would you like to see what was going on? <laughs> this one, it's a brother and sister. I'm not exactly sure because of the description. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure what we would call it today, but uh, a brother and sister had horrible tremblings in their limbs. His words are, quote, a frightful trembling of the limbs, unquote. And it was like a divine chastisement. And they came to Hippo uh, just before Easter, attended church every day, and then they would go to the shrine of the martyr St. Stephen, praying to him that, uh, that God would restore their health. So Easter arrives. <laughs> this is really something. What an Easter. A crowded congregation already assembled, and the man was holding on to the grating of the holy shrine containing the martyr's relics. Shaking, of course. His body shaking uncontrollably. Everybody looking upon him kind of, you know, it's sometimes very hard not to look at somebody with a serious physical affliction. And suddenly he fell flat on his face, and just lying there as if he was asleep. But he was no longer trembling, as he usually did. And then he arose, and those present, quote, were astonished, unquote. Well, he said, this isn't a Catholic church now. This isn't a Pentecostal church. Then we went out to join the congregation. And it says the church was packed. It rang out with shouts of joy. Thanks be to God. God be praised. There are exclamation points here in the city of God I'm reading from. The cries came from all sides. Not a mouth was silent. I greeted the people and they re replied with shouts expressing even greater fervor. Then his sister, also afflicted, same thing, went to the martyr's shrine, touched it, and she was healed. And he said, quote, there was such a clamor of wonder, such a continuous shouting mingled with tears that it seemed impossible that it should ever end. The girl was brought back and the congregation rejoiced in the praises of God with such a noise that my ears could scarcely endure it. This is one of 70 healings that occurred within about a two-year period with St. Augustine, a man who didn't think healing occurred in the city of God. This is Steve Wood. You've been listening to episode 65 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.